I'd like you to imagine a house. And in front of that house is a dog. And the dog is chained up to a porch. As someone approaches the front gate at the edge of the yard, the dog sees them and immediately charges the gate. Of course, the chain is just long enough to reach the edge of the gate so that the person is not actually in any danger. However, clearly has received the message from the homeowner that they are not welcome there and that if they proceed any further, that there might be problems. I like to think of this analogy as the chained reaction. Because in this instance, this typical scenario is something that I think we're familiar with. However, I want you to apply it to personal opinions and stances on very delicate and sensitive issues. So let's pretend that that house is you and that within that house are your viewpoints and your opinions and your morals and your values and a lot of the things that define you. And imagine the person approaching the gate is someone or something that represents an idea or another opinion that of course isn't a part of you. And that chained reaction is your response to the approach of that person or that idea. Meaning the defensiveness and almost the knee-jerk response to being approached with a counterpoint. I think that there are quite a few topics, namely religion, politics, that would lead to this type of response. When someone approaches the gate, the dog doesn't know if that person is good or bad. The dog doesn't know if that person was invited. Yet their first instinct right away is to bolt for them and to make it clear that they're not welcome. So I ask you, is that something that you can personally identify with in terms of how you respond or react to other ideas or opinions that are different than yours? I call that the chained reaction. Because really, in a conversation, it doesn't get bloody, typically. I would hope not. And when that dog reaches the length of the chain, of course, no harm has occurred. But the threat has been made, and the conflict has been established, and the border has been drawn. Because that person's not going to go any further, and there will be no entrance to the sanctity of your home, or your viewpoint, or your paradigm. Where am I going with this? Well, I'm just defining that term, first of all, of the chained reaction. The knee-jerk, gut reaction, without thought, without consideration, and without evaluation, and without analysis. The other part of the title is Triggered Warnings, which is a little bit more relative and becomes almost a play on words in some of the things I'm going to talk about. In recent years, you've heard that term triggered, which has been more so part of the youth or adolescent vernacular. Someone just being set off by something. Triggered. Something that I heard students say quite a bit. I'm not sure if it's even still used at this point, but for some time it was. But the idea of a triggered warning, to me, differs from trigger warnings in that we're talking about almost the same thing as a chain reaction. And this comes down to the things I talk about and the things I write about. As far as being triggered, you can't help but associate that with the obvious metaphor of firearms and violence. You pull the trigger and something's going to happen. It's going to be loud and quite often it's going to be hurtful. And so triggered warnings end up representing the violence that comes of these disagreements or these disputes in regards to issues that may or may not relate to all of us. In any case, how did I get to this topic? I actually went through my own little chain reaction here. 
and I think maybe it was a sign, or at least I took it as an indication that this might be something to address. Recently I saw the film Us by Jordan Peele. If you're not familiar with Jordan Peele, of Key and Peele, then you should know that he is a tremendously gifted and funny individual who, as part of Key and Peele, gave us some amazing sketch comedy work. In recent years, since Key and Peele, he's moved into filmmaking, and his first feature film, Get Out, went all the way to the Academy Awards. His follow-up film, Us, is equally as provocative, but also, in my opinion, just as effective as his debut film. I won't give any spoilers if you haven't seen the film, but I will say that there's a certain element and there's a certain theme that runs through the film that ties to violence, that ties to an outpouring of violent behavior and reactions that can happen on a mass level. Coincidentally, after I watched it, I also watched an episode of the new Twilight Zone, which we're not talking about the old Rod Serling black and white version. We're not even talking about the, I think it was late 90s or early 2000s rendition. We're talking about the 2018-2019 Twilight Zone series that has been remade or actually just updated for our current era. It's taken a lot of notes from Black Mirror, which I don't necessarily mind, but the coincidence that should be pointed out is that Jordan Peele is the narrator. He plays the Rod Serling role that introduces and then concludes every episode. And so it's no surprise that he's also a producer for the show, being that he has kind of cemented himself into the genre of horror and science fiction. The reason I bring it up is because I recently saw an episode which had the same theme that his film Us touched on, which is this outbreak of violence and this reaction that leads to panic and conflict on a very large scale. And I went, hmm, I feel like I'm being led down a path somehow to address this issue because I've learned something about the ways we deal with conflict and violence in our society today. And I don't often like to address it directly because to me it only provokes and promotes more discord. And there's already plenty enough of that. As someone who tries to funnel all of this energy into something a little bit more productive, I, like many, try and incorporate that and address it in other things and other work. If you're an athlete, that can be released through competition. If you are a singer-songwriter, that could be into your lyrics. As a filmmaker, as a writer, these can be weaved in as themes or underlying commentary in your stories. Obviously, I tend to go with the latter. And with my influences often weaving themes into their own work, I've followed suit. And I find that it helps me almost exercise those demons and express myself in a way that is at the very least cathartic and hopefully positive in the end, instead of bringing it to some sort of forum where the intent is to change other people's opinions or to force it upon a group of people. That's not how I operate, though I don't think there's any harm in sharing and giving an interpretation. So for example, when I write stories, there is always an underlying theme, there's always some kind of underlying motivation that gets me to that place where I've really got something to say. And I usually combine that with the magic bean. An instructor in film school once laid it out in terms of writing in saying that there's always one magic bean. You can have one of those in your story. Everything is based in reality, except there's usually one thing that is not based in reality. 
whether that's supernatural, whether that's paranormal, whatever it is, you get one magic bean per story and usually audiences can hang on to that because the rest of it is grounded in a reality that they understand and they know. That's probably why I really like speculative fiction and science fiction because I need that real world base. In writing stories, I always have something that motivates me that is real. Whether that's an event or an experience or a person, any of these things could be the spark to a story. Let's take Cygnus, for example, my first published book. On the surface, that story is about this mass phenomenon of people using nanotechnology and an app to treat themselves the way you would with traditional medication. Of course, this goes horribly wrong and terribly out of control because what we've done is we've taken this technology that we don't quite yet understand and for our own convenience, we have tried to utilize it to make ourselves better, but really we've introduced a whole host of other problems, namely that we've given up control of our body and our minds to technology. Imagine the slippery slope that that would lead to when it comes down to it. In any case, one of the reasons I wrote Cygnus is because it's a fun idea and the concept of nanotechnology and where that's going in the future is is a very real thing and this is just one of those rabbit holes that you can go down creatively and even philosophically to go is that something that I would participate in is that something I would support and what are the ramifications of that how dangerous or how positive is it the other part of my motivation to write it and almost the content was the fact that I spent a decade and a half in retail management for one of the largest pharmacy chains in the country and during that time, in my own journey of health and wellness and the things that I learned about myself, I also saw from a business perspective the idea of what our healthcare system in this country is like and how it operates and how we interact with it as citizens. And for that entire decade and a half, at no point did I necessarily question the policies, procedures, and business strategies involved because I accepted them for what they were. Of course, today it's being highlighted a little bit more that there's a lot more at stake with large pharmaceutical business or quote, big pharma than was previously assumed or acknowledged. Now, I'm not gonna go into some kind of conspiracy theory or some kind of tirade about big pharma or anything like that, but I will say that from a very basic level, my observations were well confirmed, especially in comparison with my own life, because I've had my own journey through health in that in this country, the mode of operation coming from sources like the FDA and major health initiatives that run all through our system, the main mode of operation seems to be to treat symptoms as opposed to treating problems. If you think about the products sold in a pharmacy, whether it's over the counter or behind the counter, these are all things that generally tend to treat the symptoms as opposed to finding the root of it. So instead of stopping the behavior that causes that, we seem to have this notion that we can fix it with a pill. And of course, in Cygnus, that pill turned into an app. And so I wrapped that in there because that's an observation. And that's generally how the business aspect of healthcare works. We're also talking about health choices and the ability and the right to make choices for your body, about your body, 
concerning your body. And so naturally, especially recently, we're talking about things like abortion. We're talking about things like vaccinations. And with these, especially now, we've crossed into this hot button territory of chained reactions and triggered warnings in the sense that these topics incite such a violent reaction, whether that's verbal or even physical, that it's very concerning. And so my approach to it is not so much to fuel the fire of that dispute, but to take what I know and what I've experienced to redirect that energy and those questions and the curiosity into something that can be at least more positive on the surface as a form of expression and or entertainment. But there's no denying that these things are problematic. These topics are very sensitive and can be very difficult to discuss. And I found that for me, the best way to address them is through analogy and through metaphor and through figurative language, rather than point counterpoint your opinion versus my opinion. And so from chained reactions, we get to triggered warnings. And we talk about triggers, what issue are we most talking about today? With the play on words acknowledged, we are clearly talking about gun control. This topic is no exception to my process and is especially relevant now because of the winter hollow. And whether or not you've heard this title or not is pretty irrelevant. But what I will tell you is this. In 2007, I started a writing project. At that point, I hadn't written anything besides scripts and short stories, nothing at a larger capacity. And I decided I'd like to see if I have what it takes to write something larger, perhaps a novel. And I started this project called The Winter Hollow. And it was kind of a free writing experiment at first because instead of outlining and, and doing the usual things I would have for any kind of creative project, I just started writing and I wanted to see where it would take me. And I got what I thought was a relatively good start to a story. Even without the framework, I was trying to inject tone and mood into to what was coming out on the page. Unfortunately, life happened and I more or less abandoned the project very incomplete. I put it in a digital drawer somewhere and thought, maybe I'll get back to it someday. I love the ideas. And I, I actually, over the next few years and into film school, I did revisit the idea and even the storyline and tried to bring some life back to it, but really I never resumed the writing. It wasn't until around 2012 that I decided something's got to happen with this. I have to do something with it because I feel bad that I started it almost like building the foundation of a house and never putting up the walls. I dug back into it and for the next few years, I wrote what ended up being technically my first novel. By 2015, I had finished this novel and I was excited to see if it was good enough for anyone else to read, if it was good enough to somehow release or publish. And I had no knowledge or education about the publishing process. After an entire year of trying to seek representation for it, I stopped. I understood the competition and the oversaturation of the market, especially the publishing market, and how hard it is to get representation for publishing. But I also acknowledged the fact that Perhaps it was the subject matter itself or something about the story elements. And the one key thing here is that in this story, in this first novel of mine, part of the plot starts with a traumatic event for our main character. And that traumatic event is a school shooting. I almost heard the trigger happen because as soon as you hear a school shooting, I know that you listening to this immediately brought to mind 
so many news stories that you've heard recently in the past few weeks, maybe even in the past few days. Because at this point, because at this point, we are completely inundated with this type of event in our lives. And it's not something that's easy to talk about because you're talking about multiple issues in addition to gun control. You're talking about mental health. You're talking about the safety of our children. And it's when public health and safety come into the mix, that's where this gets tricky. On the health side, there is an argument that says that for the health and safety of the public and for the health and safety of our children, this should be a law. On the other side of that, you're also telling people what they can and cannot do with their bodies, which ultimately and fundamentally seems to be a very big problem because it seems that going into that territory of your rights as a person physically, that poses some issues that there don't seem to be any obvious solutions to. If it's all about keeping people alive longer, that's one thing. If it's about keeping people healthy, it's another. But in the end, we have never made a claim that that is something that we can enforce on anyone in our society. We have never, ever enforced that, and I never thought we ever would. But here we are today arguing there should be laws in place telling us basically that we can't live or die the way we choose. And that's always been our choice. If someone wants to live an unhealthy life, if someone wants to damage their body, if someone wants to do any of these things in the same way that you can take care of yourself and build up your body, you have that choice. And that goes past any law or bill. But I digress. I'm merely pointing out here that these chained reactions and triggered warnings are at the root of where our conversations and, for me, stories come from. I think discourse is definitely worth it. Discussing these things, whether it's from stories or fiction or some platform that doesn't just pit opinion against opinion, I think that's where possible solutions or direction towards solutions could happen. But coming back to the Winter Hollow, in 2015, I was reluctant to pursue anything else with this book because it had a school shooting in it, and no one's read it yet. But I will tell you this, it's not about school shootings. A school shooting occurred in it and significantly impacted the life of our main character and really led to the spiral of events that happened afterward. I mentioned this in the author's note, but some people might say, no, it's inappropriate to write about that. You can't include that or it's too soon. When is it ever not too soon to talk about tragedies? Everything from rape and physical abuse to the inhumanity of war, all of these things have been covered in fiction as far back as we can remember. These are ways for us to acknowledge and address the issues without having to stomp on each other about it and without having to closet it as if it's some kind of taboo topic. And that's one of the reasons why I respect the genre of horror in general for sometimes tackling topics that are hard to talk about or even hard to watch. But the intent is not to glorify or to exploit, at least in the cases that I'm talking about, it's to explore and to have conversations about these and to confront our fears of these things and confront them in a safe way. So with The Winter Hollow, it's not a glorification of what happened. It's actually my reaction to Columbine. In a lot of ways, it tried to pull from my own experiences with the issue of firearms and with the issue of violence and somehow bring all of these elements together from my own experience. So in 1999, I remember when Columbine happened, I was a freshman in college and that affected me because at the time I played first person shooter video games. I watched quote, violent films. 
And yet that was being called out as a factor and it was being called out as even a cause to this awful thing that happened. And the other part of that was the gun violence. That, of course, led to an unending stream of similar type scenarios, but that never left me. That initial event stayed with me, and so a lot of the Winter Hollow is rooted in that experience. At that point, I had already been used to a survivalist mentality and watching a lot of apocalyptic films growing up, and that idea of what do I need to do to get out of this alive. I think that's one of the fun aspects of horror and the fun aspects of suspense is that you role play in trying to figure out how you're going to deal with these types of conflicts or this situation or this type of threat. But once Columbine happened, it put it into a whole new perspective and invaded this safe space of school, which I carried with me for the next decade and a half until I became a teacher myself. And so you can imagine that in 2013, when I started writing this story again, as a teacher, I had my own perspective on what safety should be and what precautions should be and what my reactions would be in the case that this ever happened to my students in my classroom, it was a very real thing. And so finishing this book was almost a forced meditation on the kind of emotions and perspectives that I had developed over the years. Which is to say that I won't give away the story, but I will say that in the book, this event of a school shooting is met with an opposition that came from my imagination and almost my yearning to fight back in the case that that ever happened to me. It's not a glorification. It's merely a part of my story, but in it, I do address a course of action that I almost encourage in terms of bravery and standing up to a threat like a school shooting or any kind of mass shooting. In regards to the shooting, though, there is no denying, again, that we are talking about gun violence. Despite the very drawn, bloody line on gun control, I will tell you that in 1986, at the age of six years old, I'd already had enough exposure via TV and movies to what gun violence was. And at that point, I visited the gun range for the first time in my life and experienced responsible firearm safety and training. At eight years old, I completed a safety certification on responsible gun usage and firearm training. And so, do I have a perspective? Yes. But all these things don't necessarily cement a position in this ongoing argument of what should be done. Because quite frankly, it's a lot more complicated. But am I going to tell you my position? No. Do I have a position? I don't even know. The point is that I have thoughts and I have observations and I have experience to contribute towards the conversation. Whichever issue, whichever trigger you want to discuss, I'm willing to discuss it. What I'm not willing to do is fight about it, and I'm certainly not willing to turn it into a conflict that just breeds more conflict and more negativity. My goal, especially in writing, is to explore these topics and these ideas in the hopes that when we open our minds to the possibility that we could all be wrong and that maybe none of us are right, maybe that's a good place to start. Because too often, we're sitting there waving a flag, almost demanding that people join us on our side. And it's this divisiveness that has clearly affected so many people today. So in thinking back to our analogy of that attack dog. That attack dog being your vehicle of defense for your stances and your viewpoints. I would say back up a little bit and take a look over the fence. Because when we look out of our own domain, when we try and see outside of our own heads, we'll see that the grass really is greener. 
and perhaps there's more to it than just our opinion. So I say, drop the chain. Get out and explore other perspectives and other opinions. Because while you might not agree, the only way we'll get through any of this is by reaching out to each other and understanding each other, or at least attempting to understand each other. So get out there, get out of your comfort zone. Not everything is going to be peaches and ice cream, and not everything is going to be a topic that's easy to talk about. These stories push me out of my comfort zone, but they're in a safe environment. They're in a place where the evil and all the fear can be addressed accordingly and under the control of imagination because no one gets hurt. These are just stories. So again, take a look over the fence, drop that chain, get out there and explore. Where you go is up to you, but don't stand in anyone's path. And if you really want to take the analogy home, of chained reactions and triggered warnings, then why don't you pull that trigger and destroy the chain? That way, the ideas can be set free. 